Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I would say something and, and just be a human, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I think in sales when, for one, you can be human, but for two, you can be you as the human, like you're... you're self, right? You sure. hear it all the time in 2020 about being authentic. It's, it's about being you, right? Because I mean, it's very hard to be somebody else. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us have tried it. It's, it doesn't look comfortable, right? So if the more that you can dig into who you are and, and really think outside the box on how you can relate, you know, I, I know we had this conversation, you know, looking at flags, like, you know, things that they may have had near their car or a type of vehicle, like you use anything to relate to them, to, mm-hmm. to build that instant rapport and break that ice with people. Because when you can do that, when that wall is down, it's like your buddies, right? It's like they are comfortable having a conversation with you. Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. This show is all about insights and explores how transformational moments of awakening have helped propel the lives and careers of remarkably successful people. These major breakthroughs teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. In this episode, I interviewed Jordan J. Mendoza, host of the Blaze Your Own Trail podcast, LinkedIn influencer, and sales and marketing leader with over 25 years of experience. On the show, Jordan shares a touching story of how his mother overcame the odds stacked against her in life when she was born with just one lung. Her will to survive and ultimately raise a family taught him lessons and gave him perspective over what real adversity actually means. Jordan is a gifted storyteller and walks us through moments in his life that many would consider as adversity, but he doesn't. We hear the story of how he was falsely identified as a criminal while on his way to school as a kid and how a near-death experience caused him to ask the what-if question, had things gone differently? Jordan explains how he charted his career in sales, leadership, and training, from his first sales job ever, where he learned the tough lesson about how getting more no's actually equates to success, all the way to taking on a training leadership role before he had actually ever done any training himself. Jordan has a magnetic personality and such great energy. He's incredibly likable, which is probably why he's amassed over 50,000 followers on LinkedIn. And he'll share exactly how he did it and why he believes a personal brand is so important. This is a fun one, so sit back and enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Jordan Mendoza, welcome to Inside Out. Hey, how are you, man? I appreciate you having me. Looking forward to hanging with you for a little bit. Thanks, man. I am so excited to dig in and hear your story. We had a chance to connect on your podcast, and so I'm thrilled to have you on Inside Out. And to start, I just really want the audience to hear your story because I love your story. I relate to it because there's so many parallels to my own journey, especially with leadership development and training and sales and everything you've been working on. So would love to hear the Jordan Mendoza story. Absolutely. No, I, uh, again, I appreciate you having me on, you know, uh, anytime I can go on to a show and hopefully add value to an audience. I mean, I think that's, that's what it's all about. So I appreciate it. So Jordan Mendoza, I actually grew up in the Pacific Northwest out in uh, Portland, Oregon. You know, I always love to, to tell people about my parents because they are people that have impacted me and really helped mold who I am, right? You can kind of see parts of yourself in in your mom and parts of yourself Mm -hmm. in in your dad. So my mom actually was born with one lump. This was in 1958. And so back then when you're born with one lung, essentially the doctors say, 
listen, you know, probably not going to live past 18, you know, probably not going to be able to have any kids. And he was one of those people that was like, you know what, thanks for saying that, but I'm just going to keep going. She was super positive and upbeat. She didn't use her disability as an ailment. Like, although she couldn't work because, you know, she had one lung and it was very hard for her to, to do things like that. She was on oxygen. She still figured out ways to make money. Like she would go to the dog races. She would go play bingo, right? And try to hit those blackouts. Like she was, she had a bunch of side hustles, right? Wow. And, um, and one other thing about her is she was just so optimistic and just really taught us how to like live life, like mm-hmm. a full life, like be happy. We didn't have a whole lot of money. You know, we were food stamps and free lunch tickets. That's how we grew up. But mm-hmm. we had a whole lot of love, right? We, she, she taught us how to treat people, right? And how to be empathetic to people's situations. And, I, and those are values that, that I will, you know, she, she passed away in 2012. And it was kind of one of those quick things where the rest of her body just said, listen, we, we can't overcompensate anymore. You know, so it was kidney failure. It was liver failure. It was everything you can imagine just all hit her at once. And so, you know, when she passed away, I learned later about another part of the story. And this just, it just, you know, makes me know that even though I've been through some tough things and we'll dig into these today, I still ha- haven't faced uh, adversity yet. So. I found out after my mom passes away in 2012, 2013, we go out to go out to Oregon to in a meeting with my cousins. And, and she said, I don't know if you know this, but you know, your grandma Francis was raped. She was raped in 1957 In 1958, you know, your mom was born with one lung, you know? And, and so that just gave me so much perspective. It's like, you know, I, I shouldn't even be here, right? Like, like there's a, a chance where like I couldn't exist. What if she gave the baby up for, you know, like you, there's so many things you think wow. about that. But, but I also think about the fact that she did everything. She had five boys. They should said you wouldn't have any kids. She had five boys, mm. right? And, and our youngest she had when she was 40. So, I mean, just, just really. Yeah, these miraculous things. And she lived to be 54, right? So that's way past 18 years old. So, you know, she she taught me so much about a lot of different things. You know, she was also, we called her, you know, we call her ESPN now, but it was before ESPN existed. She knew everything about sports. Like (laughs) she was a big Trailblazer fan, has season tickets forever, was at the championship game in 77. And so you know, she got all, all of us into sports and cheered us on. I mean, you, if, when I look back at all the things she did and, and how many excuses she could have made, right? You know, how many times she could just say, I'm too tight, right? And she mm-hmm. didn't. And she showed us that no matter what's going on, no matter what you face, there's, you, you have a choice in how you're going to react and respond, right? And uh, so I'm super thankful to have somebody like that, right? And that's someone that inspires me still every day. And so my dad's actually a Philippine immigrant. He born and raised in the Philippines. He uh, started working in the rice fields when he was seven. You know, this is, this is out in the province. So it's rice patties everywhere. And so he did have a, a pet caribou, right? That helped him like, basically <laughs> drug him That's through the amazing. mud you know, okay. when, when you're uh, getting this rice. But, you know, he was just one of those very hard workers in everything that he did. He went into the military and then he was a seaman and he traveled the world and painted ships and met my mom in Portland in, in the 80s. And, and then uh, I actually didn't meet him until I was 12. Because really? He, ended up going back to the Philippines and his high school. I mean, there's a bunch of drama, right? This high school sweetheart basically told him that she was pregnant. It was, you know, there was all these things that were happening and, and he had a choice to make. And of course, I mean, go back to the, the culture or, you know, to the other side of the world. I mean, you know, in, when I think about it, it's like, okay, you know, I, I get it. You know, he was young and you know, these, these types of things happen. But my mom said to me one day when I was 12, she said, Hey, how would you like to go spend the summer with your dad? And I was like, I'm thinking like the dad that I've never met, like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's been gone my whole life. Uh, I did have that thought. But and then I was like, you know what? It would be really cool to meet my dad. It would be cool to see that side of the ancestry, right? To learn about a whole new culture. So 
I had the opportunity at 12, flew out by myself, Portland to Minneapolis, St. Paul to Washington National and went to meet my dad and my stepmom and stepbrother and uh, my grandparents. I mean, it was, it was crazy. It was just a very crazy experience. And my dad from the start, you know, I could tell that he was a hard worker. Like he, mm-hmm. he had now owned a landscaping company for about mm-hmm. over 20 years, right? He came to the States. He worked for two years for a company, said, I can do this on my own. Mm-hmm. No money into marketing. He, his, he still has black and white business cards. He's never put an ad anywhere. And all of his businesses <laughs> came from word of mouth, literally from a neighbor saying, here, June Mendoza Landscaping did a great job. And literally that's how his business scaled, you know? 40 years. I mean, just, just an incredible hard worker. And I think about myself and I took those things from mom, right? The, the kindness, the empathy, the love for sports, you know, the optimism, and then this hard work and being very determined to not give up from my dad. Right. And so I just love to give people that context because I think, you know, you can be affected by, by environment or you can use the environment to create your own environment. Right. And so I, I think about a lot about adversity and and how it actually makes you stronger. Right. Mm-hmm. And the adversity that, that we go through as humans isn't for us. It's for it's for us so that we can learn something to share with other people in hopes that they might do something different or or look at something different, right? Come at it from a different point of view. Man, what a story, both your mom and your dad. And thank you so much for sharing. I just want to dig in on this adversity piece because it's such an important topic and I'm glad you brought it up. Did I hear you correctly when you said you haven't really faced adversity? Because what I just heard was a story of adversity, but you're such an optimist and you're such a, you're such a positive person. You just glow positivity and it's perspective. And so I, I'm curious, actually, I relate to it, by the way. I relate to it, but I haven't been in your shoes. And what I mean by that is, even though my parents were separated, I knew, I knew them my whole life. You didn't really know your dad till you were 12 years old. Many would say that's adversity, but I don't think, I don't think you see it that way, or at least I'm not hearing you yeah. say it that way. And that, that's a powerful insight in and of itself. So I'm just curious, man, like, did I hear you right when you said that? And, and I'm yeah, curious. Yeah, you, you heard me right. And, and, and I'll tell you actually three pivotal moments in my life that have happened that where I did face adversity in most people's eyes. But when I said I don't feel like I faced it because like just knowing what my mom went through to get to 54. Right. Like it's that perspective. Me, that, it's perspective. That, exactly. That to me is adversity because, you know, there, I'll give you the three pivotal things. So fourth grade picnic, Pier Park uh, out in North Portland. Uh, we're, we're doing a picnic, you know, I don't know why we did a celebration at the last day of fourth grade. Right. I mean, I could see fifth grade, but um, who knows, maybe they just wanted to celebrate the kids. So oh, yeah. park and we're playing a bunch of sports, baseball, you know, people are playing kickball, you know, water balloon. I mean, it's just, this is just, you know, pure 1980s park stuff, right. <laughs> just, just having a blast and I'm up to bat, you know, I, I swing the bat. I do one of those I spin around the bat flies, <laughs> right? That you see in the movies. Totally. Uh, I walk over and this park is filled with Douglas fir trees. If you've never seen a Douglas fir, they are they're massive and lush trees. And I'm walking over. I reach down to pick up the bat and I stand up and there's a beehive on top of my head. Mm. I mean, and full on, very similar to the Yogi, you know, the Yogi bear ones that have the you know, the divots in them. Right. And that's on me. And so I'm immediately getting stung. I'm running, I'm running towards the other kids. They're running away from me. I remember doing a somersault. I think I did a front handspring. I mean, I was just going crazy trying to get these things off of me. And I ran over, there was a bunch of teachers. Some of them ran, some of them were a little nicer and got these coolers for our drinks and started dumping them on me. Mm-hmm. And, and started kind of swatting and picking all the bees off me. But I got stung 53 times oh, in fourth grade, right? So again, if I was allergic, we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? And it hurt, right? It definitely was very, <laughs> was very painful uh, to go through. But I still don't look at it. I still don't, I still don't uh, quite think it, it matches up, you know? Right. And that was kind of the first time that I could have I died, right? The second time was in seventh grade. So this is actually 
This is actually after, I think it's the fall after I met my dad for the first time. And I, uh, we had moved, we moved a lot, I think from born to eighth grade, I'm probably moved 15 or 16 times. It was just, mm. you know, like, I don't, I don't really know the, the financial situation. I know we didn't have money, so probably it related to that. But yeah, I just remember moving a lot. So moving to me was like, oh, it's like, it's a Tuesday, you know, it's like we're, we move a lot. So we were moving and this time we were moving several towns down and I wanted to stay at, at that school. You know, I was like, you know, what? I went to kindergarten to sixth grade with these guys. I want to go back for seventh grade. And so I had to take two public buses, right? One bus, and then it would take about 20 minutes. It would stop. I'd have about a 30-minute wait at a 7-Eleven. Every single day, I went to the same 7-Eleven. I knew the, the lady. Her name was Rosa at the store. I would go in. I would have my chains in my pocket. I would put my money in, and I would play Mortal Kombat 2. That was my routine every single day. And on one of those days, I was playing Mortal Kombat 2. Um, you know, I hear the, the chimes. You can hear the chimes when people walk into the door. And I hear somebody, it was a man's voice, and he says, hey, Daniel. And of course, I'm not Daniel. I didn't react. I just keep playing the game. Um, you know, within maybe 30 seconds or a minute, I can't remember exactly how long it was, but I felt my body being lifted. I was thrown against a Terminator 2 pinball machine, which had a metal gun where you pulled the trigger to launch the ball. I'm shoved against that, my ribs. I'm punched several times by this male officer. I'm thrown on the ground. I'm handcuffed. And what? meanwhile, his other partner is yelling at the lady to shut up or they're going to arrest her too. And they take me out to a police car. And I'm just, I'm so confused. I'm crying. I'm upset, you know, and I'm like, what do you, my name is not Daniel. And they're like, shut up. We know you're the runaway. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm on my way to school. Like look in my jacket pocket. My homework's in there. And they reached in my pocket, luckily pulled it out. It says Jordan Mendoza on it has my name. And when I tell you the guy's face looked like he saw a ghost, right? I bet. Because I bet what he just had done. I mean, I had bruised ribs. I had bruised wrists. You know, it was, we went through uh, talking to a psychologist, you know, there was all these things that happened and, you know, the outcome ended up being that they both were fired, which is the right thing. Right. I don't, uh, and even to this day, I don't think that all police officers are bad. I think that there are bad people that work in every job, right. In every, in every 100%. position, you know, and that's coming from a guy who got the crap beat out of him for no reason. Uh, being racially profiled actually for a Hispanic runaway. And again, I know I probably look Hispanic to most people, but I'm Filipino, I'm Irish and Native American, Chippewa, right? So, you know, but this is the type of thing that's still happening today, obviously in the current climate. And it happened 25 years ago to me, right? So, you know, with everything that's happening, it's like, yeah, I'm that definitely things need to change. You know, they've needed to change for a, a very long time. So that was really two. That was the second one. So we'll fast forward seven years. I was 19 years old. I had been doing some sales, like business to business sales, things like that. And we were opening an office. We were in California at the time and we we're going to go to New Jersey to open up a new satellite office. And we're on this trip. It's, it's going really good. We're going through, we're taking kind of the long route, the scenic route. We're going to like Salt Lake City and to Phoenix and to Vegas for a stop. And then we, we end up going and getting up to I-80 going towards Wyoming. And it's very late or early, right around four in the morning. I was in a, a truck, a Chevy King cab that had, you know, the big bed in the front and then the back, it actually had seats that where you could sit this way, kind of sideways, you know? Okay. And so I was sitting back there and, um, you know, I wake up my, my buddy who was driving, he woke up, he fell asleep, woke up, he overcorrected himself and hit the gas. And so we're sliding at 70 miles an hour and the truck just starts flipping. And we, it finally lands. I, I just remember holding on and yelling like, holy, sh like a, a few times and then it landed, you know? So I was, you know, I got woken up while we're sliding. I mean, it sure. was crazy, Not, crazy wow. experience. I can't even imagine um, that. And so the truck lands and we realized that uh, the driver, Jeremy, he's not in the car. Windshield's gone. 
So he had been ejected about 25 feet on the opposite side of the highway, the freeway from where the truck landed. And so we're all running, you know, I get out, I'm like, check, you know, you're checking yourself, making sure you're okay. And, um, you know, I noticed a weird smell. And if, I don't know if you've ever smelled blood before, but it has a very irony smell. And I reached down into my right leg and my, my hand actually started to go inside. I had a cut that was 12 inches long, about a fist deep. And it was, it was gnarly, you know, and then on my left leg, I had an eight inch cut. So, um, our saving grace for this whole thing. And listen, this was, this was crazy because we had a caravan. There was two other cars that actually saw this happening to us. They saw us like flipping and this whole thing. And they were all, we were all looking for our friend and we finally found him. And luckily a couple off duty EMTs happened to be coming from a conference stopped, called everything in. I got rushed to a hospital in Rollins, Wyoming. Our buddy got life flighted to Casper, you know, it visible head and, you know, brain injuries and things like that. And, um, you know, so I mean, that was a very crazy experience and, uh, he ended up making a full recovery got married, two beautiful kids. I ended up making a, a, they told me I, there was a chance I might not be able to walk. I had to have 52 staples and laser surgery. I mean, it was crazy. And I ended up making a full recovery within six months. I mean, just, just very, very, very crazy, right. Um, that that would happen. But, um, one of the things I, I, I haven't really shared on a podcast before, but I, I think about it a lot. Every anniversary of that day, I think about this. And I remember me and my friend, uh, Brandaris, he actually lives out in Oakland, California. I still talk to him to this day. We were both actually arguing about who was going to go in that truck. It was like the cool truck to be in. Mm. And we battled and we argued. I mean, we were arguing like, you know, shoving each other, you know, shoving each other, <laughs> arguing. As you do and as I, a 19-year-old. <laughs> and I won the battle. Yeah. And I think about that a lot. Like... I'm so glad. And I remember he, when I woke up and I was loopy and I was on morphine and all these different things, but I remember my buddy Brandaris is sitting next to me. I remember telling him, I said, listen, I'm glad it was, it wasn't you. I'm glad it was me because what it, you know, what if he wouldn't have been sitting the way I would have been sitting? I didn't have a seatbelt on. If if I did, I would have died because if you look at the truck after the accident, I, where I would have been was impacted because I didn't, I was able to shift to another area. I mean, you, you know, so there's, you think about a lot of these things, but again, knowing what mom went through, I still don't feel like I've faced adversity yet mm. because I mean, you know, she shouldn't have even made it past a certain point. Right. You know, but again, like you said, it's, it's perspective. And that's the, that's the lens that I view life through is I'm always looking at the, optimistic side of things. Things can be going really, really wrong. And I'm like, well, you know, the good news is, you know, and, and it drives my wife crazy. You know, she's like, man, why, how are you always looking at it this way? I'm like, I don't know. That's just how, it's just the only way I know how to look at it. Yeah. Well, I mean, to your credit, you, you could look at it a very different way. You could look at it as all the things that have happened. Woe is me. Be the victim. I didn't have this. I grew up on food stamps. I, didn't know my father till I was 12. I was, uh, you know, abused by, by police in a, in a, in a 7-Eleven. Like all these things that you've had happen in your life, many, many people would see that as adversity. But I think your ability to use your mom's story as perspective is a testament to you and, and to her, frankly, because she raised you and she raised your four brothers. So I'm really curious about what happened. You know, you were a 19 year old. You have this life event happen. How do, what happened after that? Obviously, I know I, I know a bit of your story, and you got into sales, and you've, you've had a really successful career. You've really uh, crafted a career where you give, where you're um, always helping other people become better through development, whether it be leaders or sales. So, curious how your career was designed. Was it by intention or? how you wound up doing what you're doing and you've had a ton of success. So I'd love to hear that part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I actually started my sales career at, at 14. You know, I got a job with the Oregonian newspaper and um, you know, we saw an ad, it was me, my, my brother, David, our buddy, Steve from down the street. And 
we all answered this ad in the paper and it was like, listen, um, would you like to make some money going into neighborhoods and trying to get people to sign up for the newspaper? You get paid per deal that you sign. You get free Burger King. And we were like, sold, right? Like They got you. you know they did what they, to say. You they, get they, got, they got us with the free Burger King hook. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> we, got a, we got a milkshake. We got a, a, a Whopper and a fry. I mean, that was worth like that was worth it, right? Child and, labor and, for fast food. I love it. And, and listen, in <laughs> hindsight, right? Because I, I I I love to share the story of my first day, right? And in hindsight, the Burger King is really what made me come back for day two, right? <laughs> right? Because I got fed before I went out to to terribly sell nothing, right? But so you know, I like to share the story. So my very first day, in, this is my very first day in sales. I'm I'm 14 years old. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I thought I could sell beef jerky and candy bar, you know, from like what I did in the soccer and baseball days, but this was different, right? This was, I'm knocking on your door and, you know, within three seconds, you're probably going to say something to me that is telling me to get out off your door, right? Like, I mean, I had to, I had to figure it out and I didn't, I don't feel like I gave myself the opportunity on day one to figure it out because I got so negged out. I got so down on myself as the nose compounded. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I remember like day uh, door one. I'm super cheery. I'm happy. I'm like, hey, my name is. And they're like, dunk. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> they must be busy, right? You know. And you're going and and so every time. And I'm trying to change things up. I'm trying to do it. But over a hundred doors knocked on my first day. Uh, zero yeses. All no's. Terrible. Right. Ter- terrible experience. So I remember I uh, went back to settle up, and you know, my my brother and my buddy Steve are high five, and they got sales. They're pumped. They're pumped. I'm just pissed. I'm like, I'm sitting on the curb waiting for him to pick us up head between my, you know, I'm just like, I'm, I'm so down on myself. Right. And, uh, so we get back to the office, we're going to settle up and he's asking for clipboards and I'm like, don't want to hand over this clipboard that's full. You know (laughs) what I'm saying? Um, uh, so I hand it over and he said, what happened out there? And I said, uh, you know, well, I guess nobody reads the newspaper. You know, <laughs> like nobody is buying today. Whatever. I was just making uh, random excuses up. And he said, listen, there's something I want to tell you. And you may not understand this today, but hopefully one day down the road, you, you'll understand. And he said, the sale doesn't start until the customer says no. And I said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And can we go now? Let me go home, right? I didn't want to hear it. I didn't want to receive it. I didn't want to listen to it. And a couple of years later, I I had continued on the sales journey, had many sales jobs, you know, over this time. And I remember I was now training other people and I had worked with this guy. We worked on his pitch. He went out into the field and he got no's from absolutely everybody. And he came, he comes back to the office and uh, I said, Hey, what's going on out there? And he's like, yeah, I guess nobody buys nobody buys this stuff, you know? And I was just like, Oh, this sounds very familiar. And so what did I say to him? I said, the sale doesn't start until the customer says no. (laughs) Right. So it, it really came back full circle. And when you think about it, people are going to have objections, Mm -hmm. right? Not every sales cycle is going to be immediate, right? Like sometimes people have other people they need to speak with other things they need to do. So it makes a whole lot of sense. But what it also told me is if I can use a preemptive strike, right? Different icebreakers. If I can mix it up to say something before they got to say anything, then I have the upper hand now. Mm. Right. And so that's what I actually started doing. I started when they would open before they could say anything. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? And then they'd be like, Oh, I'm okay. I'm like, how are you? I'm like, "Uh, I'm tired. I've been walking around all day. (laughs) And so I'll do something that may be funny or Hey, Hey, actually, um, do you have any cold water? I've been walking. I think I've been to, in this neighborhood for two hours. You know, I would say something and, and just be a human, right? Mm. Because I, I think in, in sales when for one, you can be human, but for two, you can be you as the human, like your, your self, right? You sure. hear it all the time in 2020 about being authentic. It's, it's about being you, right? Because um, it's very hard to be somebody else. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of us have tried it. It's, it doesn't look 
comfortable, right? So if the more that you can dig into who you are and, and really think outside the box on how you can relate, you know, I, I know we had this conversation, you know, looking at flags, like, you know, things that they may have had near their car or a type of vehicle, like you use anything to relate to them, to, mm-hmm. to build that instant rapport and break that ice with people. Because when you can do that, when that wall is down, it's, it's like your buddies, right? It's like they are comfortable having a conversation with you. What a valuable insight. And there's so much there. I mean, it's, it's an insight for several reasons. One is it, it's doing the unexpected. They expect you to try and sell them. They expect you to say, start doing your sales pitch. What they don't expect is for you to ask for water or for you to say you're tired or for you to do something that is different. And that's when all of a sudden they're paying attention. And to your point, it's not just that you're a human, it's that you're you. I love that because ultimately people want to be around and talk to people that are genuine, that are themselves, that aren't putting on a front or trying to be something they're not. So super valuable insight. Wonder, you know, as you know, this show is all about insights. And since you've been a sales trainer, I'm sure you're full of insights. What are some other insights that stand out from your career that have been really monumental in performance, maybe even a pivot point, something that changed the trajectory or gave you something that really accelerated what path you were already on? Yeah. So honestly, I think some of the uh, the most fun times in sales for me as a, you know, as a sales practitioner, or a salesman, believe it or not, was actually telemarketing because I was really, really good at it. Right. And I don't say that to be like, I'm, I'm really good. To, like I was actually really good. I've closed. I'm, I'm, I closed not, surprised. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. You know brother. what I'm saying? And, <laughs> and what's interesting is I used a lot of the same principles, but when when you're speaking on the phone, you have to be really good at using your voice and voice inflection and the way that you pause and the rhythm. You know, you have to get good at that um, because you know those different cadences, the things that you can add in. You know, like the listen, I'm only going to be just a minute, right? Like things like that. Like that actually, people want to listen. <laughs> you know, they they're interested in hearing it. You know, so. Um, I remember I was selling cell phones over the phone, right? And this was this was the uh, this was 1996, so the bigger new Nokia phones, sure. you bricks. know, with the antenna on the top of it. And I remember like every one of my friends' mom, I called them. They're like, they all bought from me, and I felt bad later because the phones were really not that great. You know what I'm saying? But like, and. And this was, you know, in 96, I was getting, you had to collect social security. I mean, you had to get like real information and, and the system, it wasn't like that great of a system I was putting, you know, I saw thinking back to like the, the security side of it, it like wasn't the best system that, that, that they had, but it was like, it was getting the job done. It was getting the orders in. And I just remember like the lady that was our manager, her name was Cece. Um, this massive red hair, like she was, she was like so hype. She was like the hype lady, you know, of the office. And, and this is, you know, cubicles and maybe there's 12 people in there. So not, not a whole lot of people, but she just, you know, she didn't really stand a whole lot. She kind of sat at her desk, but she kind of set the tone and like would kind of put you against another per- like, Hey, Hey, is Steve going to beat you? Yeah. You know, like you sure, know, sure, sure. create that competition. Yeah. And she would also do this like spin the wheel thing. Like, so she was really good at creating the atmosphere. And, and I think that's super important in, in sales. If, if you are working for an organization and you have a sales team, the atmosphere that you set in the beginning of the day sets a tone for the rest of the day. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I mean like, why, why not play some, some music, right? To get people hyped up, right? Energetic and pumped up. That's, that gets people going, right? But why also aren't you practicing before you go out, right? So practice pitching, whatever the product is, actually partnering with somebody. And listen, even in a virtual world, we, you can do that. Just, you know, we see each other on camera. You can do it that way as well, right? Where you, where you practice, but I don't care what you're in, what, field you're in, whether it's sales, whether it's manufacturing, if you don't practice your craft, you're not going to get better. 
<laughs> you know, like you've got to put in the work. And so that was one thing I, I, I did. I practice my craft, right? Like I was very good at figuring out where we were going to go for my group of friends. You know, like I was very good at, at, at being influential in some of those decisions. Right. But so I was, you know, a practitioner in all senses, you know, um, not just, not just in the workplace. And I think that's something, there are certain people that have the ability to communicate, right. That just have the, you know, they call it the gift of gab, the, the, the art of conversation, you know, and that's, uh, I, I remember even being a kid, in, in doing the candy bar and the jerky thing, selling out all, you know, like sure. I've just always had that ability to, to, I think have conversations, but and when you get older, we forget how easy it was when we were a kid. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, so it takes a while to kind of bring, bring that back, bring that spark back. Right. And, and when you can find that spark, that little energy where you start shifting things, you shift the word no and turn it into an acronym like next opportunity, right? You, you think about um, all of the things that you, could, that you could do if you got to where you want to be, right? So you start imagining uh, the places that you want um, and the roles that you want. I would love to share a little bit about my journey into property management. You know, that's the industry that, that I'm in right now. Um, so... Uh, my wife and I, when our youngest was born, uh, my dad called me. We were living down in Georgia, and he said, "Hey, I need some help with my landscaping business. You know, need need you to kind of run a crew and do stuff like that." And I was like, "You know, let's let's go ahead and do it." So we moved up to the D.C. area into Maryland. This is when our our son was really little, about three months, and that was going good. Did it did it for I don't know seven or eight months or so, and. And then, of course, in the wintertime, uh, for any landscapers listening, that it slows down, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, especially in D.C. in the wintertime, it, it slows down. So I had to find some other work, right? And um, so I found a job um, selling windows, right? So I've, so I've sold so many different things, but wow. windows was a whole new world, right? I didn't know how to measure. Like, I'm not, I am not like Tim the Toolman Taylor, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's, <laughs> that is not my forte, Um it was tough. It was, I remember it not being easy. I remember the, the learning, learning about the things was easy, but remembering and using the tape measure, you know, cause you had to go to people's houses. People would set appointments for you. You'd go to their house, you'd go around and measure and all the stuff. And I remember the first one I measured, I'm like, I don't even know if those measurements were right. Like I did, I was not confident that I actually measured them right. And I remember, um, you know, coming kind of, getting a negative attitude. Right. And, and, uh, I was just like, what are you doing? Like you're new, you know, you're new at this. Everybody's been new at a job before mm-hmm. everybody relates with the new person. So I said, how can I use that to my advantage? So I would actually tell people when I would arrive at their house, Hey, just want to let you know, this is my, the second house I've come to. It may take me a little bit longer to measure everything because I'm still learning. What happens then? instant icebreaker the wall the wall was down but it was also true it was very true like i i didn't know what i was doing to the full extent but again it brings it right back to being a person to to like we can people can see that in themselves right and so it's it's a bit of psychology as well because it's a way into helping their guard be let down you know? Um, and so I remember, I think it took me four or five houses and then the, um, I think the six one I sold them $12,000 in windows, you know, (laughs) like, and again, I still felt like I didn't know what I was doing, but I definitely got measuring down. I got quicker, you know, cause I I figured out that that was something that people didn't want you there a long time that you're in there, you're in their house. So the new guy thing kind of wore off after house number four, you know what I'm saying? Because it was like, I was the new slow guy. You know, not just the new guy. So I had to figure out how do I pick up the pace? How do I get this done quicker? You know, and so I did that for a little bit. Um, and then, uh, you know, I was talking to my uh, my dad and he's like, listen, it's weather's still not great. And um, I was like, okay, I guess I can, I'll still do this, this window thing. And then um, while I'm doing the window thing, it was like on a Saturday, I went into the leasing office at the apartments that we were in. And, you know, every time I'd go in, I would just, 
spark up conversations and, uh, you know, when I'm picking up a package or stuff like that. And so they said, Hey, um, Jordan, right. I was like, yeah. They're like, Hey, um, you always talk to us when, when you're in here, you're friendly. Have you, you ever thought about doing, uh, doing sales? And I was like, well, you know, I've, I've got some sales experience, you know, and at that point that was, I think, 06. So I have had plenty of years of sales experience, about 11 years by, at that point. Um, and I said, yeah, what do you, what do you do? And they're like, well, you show people the apartments and if they want to lease them, they lease them, you know, I'm like, oh, wow. Like, so I don't have to call people and get them to come here. They're like, no, they call us. <laughs> like, like, whoa, this is, this is amazing. Cause most of the stuff I did was cold calling, right? This was yeah. go talk to strangers. And so I was, but I was very comfortable with that, you know? And so now uh, I'm being told about this role. And the, the, the next question I had was, do you offer benefits? Right. Cause we've got our six month old son, you know, and we needed benefits. And, and I was thinking about the future. Honestly, I was, I was thinking about the future, but I was also thinking about benefits a lot. <laughs> because we had just spent like $300 for a doctor to come in for like 12 seconds and be like, yep, looks good. And, and you know what I'm saying? And I didn't like, I didn't want to keep paying that. So the benefits thing was huge. Now, um, it's, it's so funny to think about this because I remember saying like, Hey, to my wife, like, listen, I'll get this. We've got benefits. I'll do this until I can find a real job. You know, mm, I remember really, saying that. Really? Her. Okay. And uh, and, and of course, uh, you know, the rest will be history as you learn a little bit more. But so I, I, I go to this interview, I'm interviewing with the regional manager at the, the place that I actually live, uh, in down in the, the apartment office. And he, he gives me one of those cliche questions. You know, he says, Hey, where do you see yourself in the next five years? And, uh, I remember I was a little, I was a little arrogant at the time. I said, well, I would love to have uh, your job in five years. You know, and he said, hold, hold on there, son. You don't have this job yet. Like, and he kind of, he kind of shut me down and listen, he did end up hiring me. Um, <laughs> you know, he hires me to this new role. We have these, um, I was supposed to go to orientation, but it had gotten like something happened. And, and so I didn't get go to orientation till like my fifth week or something like that, which is, was not normal. It was usually like your first week. They start you on a Monday. You go through a five-day orientation. They're, they're teaching you how to lease and about fair housing and about you know all those different things. And, and so my training got delayed. Well, I'm, they still have me out there leasing. you know. And I don't know. I really didn't know what I was doing. No one really trained me. And this, this just kind of happened throughout the career. But like, it was like, all right, yep. You've done sales, right? Go, go figure it out. You know, here's some floor plans. Here's some keys. Like, go check things out. You know, mm-hmm. um, so um, I remember I wasn't I I wasn't the greatest at, in with like the first few tours, but after that, it was like just like clockwork. You know, I knew I knew how to read the the, the people that were coming in. I knew how to ask the right questions, the right open ended questions. I knew how to figure out their hot buttons, right? I knew how to do all of those things. And a lot of that, again, came from the 11 years of, of experience doing, uh, doing business to business and, and telemarketing and all of that. Um, so I got really good. And within, uh, within six months, they promoted me to assistant manager. And so es- essentially an assistant manager in the property management world, uh, you are like a bookkeeper. You collect the rent checks. You call people when they when they haven't paid their rent. You know, mm-hmm. you send out the late letters. Like, not a fun job at all. Like, I actually hated it. Like, it was. It yeah. d- definitely was not my thing. You know, like uh, I'm very self aware. I'm not good at math and any of that. So, what did I do? I went on a mission to be the best assistant manager I could be. And sure. you know, I actually ended up uh, getting assistant manager of the year somehow, which was weird. <laughs> and nine months later, they promoted me to be a property manager. Now, um, one of the things I, I think about it in hindsight is, you know, I don't know if it's the best idea to take your number one sales guy, right? Because I ended up being the top guy in the whole region, over 40 properties, and make them a bookkeeper. Mm. You know, like, I don't know if that's the best thing, but like I saw it as just a vehicle because ultimately I wanted to be a property manager. I wanted to be responsible for everything and, and manage a team of people. Like that's what I really wanted. So I knew a, this was a stepping stone that I had to go through to get to that next level. Um, 
And so I become a community manager. And the way I became a community manager, I, I, I actually uh, thought I was losing my job this day because <laughs> I get a phone call from a vice president. Uh, she says, hey, can you come meet uh, me and Kelly over at this community? And I was like, um, sure. What do you guys need? She's like, well, we'll chat with when you get there, you know, it was one of those like very generic responses. Oh, right, right. It's scary. So I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, okay, um, you want me to come now? And they're like, yeah, we're, we're here now. Uh, so I, uh, hang up there. I grab my phone. I call my wife. I'm like, Hey, I might be losing my job. Just, just be on the lookout. You know, um, I'm heading over to meet a vice president and an RM. So that kind of doesn't look good for me. You know, So I, uh, go over to that, to this community and when I get there, it was a little strange because the manager wasn't there. And I was like, oh, man, like got him too, got him too, you know? So I walk in and they say, Hey, Jordan, have a seat. And I was like, um, Hey, where's, where's Jason at? And they're like, Oh, he's, he's no longer here. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh goodness. I'm sweating it even more. And they're like, so how, how are you doing today? I was like, Oh, I'm doing okay. And they said, listen, you know, um, Jason isn't here anymore. And you have been doing such a great job. We want to promote you to community manager. Mm. And they said, here are the new keys to your new property. And you're going to do awesome. And they left. Wow. <laughs> and they left. And so, of course, I call my wife and she picks the phone. and She's like, lost your job. I'm like, no, they actually promoted me. You know? <laughs> like they promoted me. It was, and, uh, and then I was looking around and I was like, I don't know how to do this job. <laughs> like, I don't, what do I do now? You know? And luckily I had a, a, a very cool training ground. I was at a one person show community. I, I was the leasing person, the assistant and the manager. All, oh all really? Okay. I, all, okay. I, I held all three roles and I had one service associate that did our work orders. So it was really, it was me and him. So there were times when I, I had to go plunge toilets, like, because he was busy doing stuff and someone's toilet was going to over, like, you know what sure. I'm saying? And so, sure. uh, I think that was really cool because I, I learned a lot of maintenance related things that have been, uh, helpful as a homeowner, you know, that's, those are definitely helpful things to, to pick up. But yeah, so I had that community. I was there for, I think I was there for about 10 months and then I got a call and it was another situation. I was getting called over to the office and I ended up getting promoted to manage two communities. And so now I'm managing two communities, which one of them happens to be where I live, right? <laughs> like, so I'm now managing the place where I live and I, and I go through, through that community, um, uh, have some good teams, have some attrition, and then I get a call to the corporate office and they want to promote me for a brand new lease up, a new community being built in Virginia. So that was in 2009. I go manage that. Um, it took us, we opened in May, we leased up by December. So six months to lease up this luxury apartment community. And, uh, and then after that, you know, I managed a few other places. We ended up um, getting closer to home for my wife down here in, in Georgia, managed a couple communities, um, you know, my mom ends up getting sick in November of 11, passes away in March of 12. Um, that was a tough time for me, right? As a human, I was, uh, not in a, not in a very good place, right? Didn't even realize it until after it was almost like time went by so slow, you know? Um, but this happens. And then that August, they post a position for a training role. Mm -hmm. It was titled learning and development manager at the time. And I, you know, I thought about, uh, you know, what I wanted to do. And, you know, I had just been managing a team of 17 associates and that was the largest team that, that I had managed before. And when I say we were a well-oiled machine, I mean, we were a well-oiled machine. We were really, um, the results that we were getting were uh, helping carry some other markets, right? We were mm -hmm. doing really well, but the community was 558 units. So it was a massive place on 28 acres. So it was huge. Um, and so, you know, I'd seen some success there, but the thing that I really uh, enjoyed the most was helping other people grow, right? If I had a leasing professional, I wanted to help them get promoted to be an assistant manager. My assistant, I wanted them to be a manager because I firmly believe that as a, as a leader, we work uh, for our teams, not the other way around. 
Yes. Our, it is our responsibility to help them grow like the people that helped us grow. You know, I think there's, there's a lot of people that look at it the other way and it really hinders their ability to grow because as people are growing around you, you're, you're growing with them, right? Everybody, everybody grows. There's no way I get to where I, where I am without other people, without mentors and coaches along the way. There's, there's just no way. I really wanted to impact other associates. And so I applied for this role. Um, and I was somebody that in middle school, I knew I didn't want to go to college. I knew that. Like I was happy to be done with, with high school, right? And um, I was up against people with degrees for this role. And there was, I think, eight, eight to 10 candidates. And I remember having this like... These thoughts of like, I'm definitely not good enough to get this job. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I can't compete with somebody that has a degree. It's it's the blip, that's the blip in my uh, in my stone. Like, you know, and uh, and then I start thinking about it, and I said, you know, I've got over like at this point, 16 or 17 years experience in sales, and if somebody that graduates of four years has zero experience in sales, right? You know what I'm saying? And sure. I have this experience. So I, when I started adding up what it, the experience looked like, mm. um, uh, I started to realize that that, that that had a lot of weight, that that had a lot of value. So I kind of just shifted my perspective and said, listen, uh, why not you? Like, why, why, why hold yourself here and not know that you're going to get this, you know? And, um, and so I, I feel like I had a good interview. You know, I feel like we hit it off and, um, and she kind of knew like what I had just gone through, I think with my mom. So we had, we had talked about, talked about that. And I just kind of knew after the first interview, I just knew that I was going to, to get the role. I just, you know, I just felt like it was going to happen. And of course it happens. It brings us back up to DC. This is tra- the trainer for the, for DC, Maryland, Virginia, New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts. So the, you know, the, the Northeast essentially. So we, we get up there. I'm in this, I'm in this role now, a whole new world, right? I'm a learning and development manager that has never taught a class ever. <laughs> right? So one of the first things that happened is like, I'm having to, to like shadow another trainer and learn the content. And I'm like, man, how am I going to memorize all these, like these big old books of, content, you know, how sure. am I going to learn all this to be able to teach it back to other people? Um, cause that's just not the way I, I learned by just doing it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, I, and I'm also a skim reader. So I would like literally skim, be skimming through it and I would do it like five or six times and skim through the content and just remember the context of it and then just throw, throw me into it, you know? And and the response was good. Like people were like, wow, like I doesn't, I don't feel like I'm in a class. I feel like we're just having, you know, having a sure. conversation, you know? Um, and so I kind of knew that was going to be the style in which I facilitate. And I'm one of those people that being in that sales world, I, I love to create that atmosphere. Like I have my music playing, I'm, we're doing games. Like there's going to, you might be sitting for 10, you're going to be up, you're going to watch a video, you know, you're going to be practicing writing on a wall, you know, like I have people sure. Mix it moving up. so that we can, we can really accommodate every learning style, right? The, the audio, the visual, the kinesthetic. We want to make sure that we can hit all of those styles so that no one feels left out, right? <laughs> you want everyone to, to want to participate versus you know, want to sit over and not say anything the whole time. One of the things that I really admire about you is that you've embraced your own personal brand. And I know that's something you said is it's, it's your number one asset. I want, I want it. Uh, as we kind of wind down here, I want to hear a little bit about your story and journey on LinkedIn because you've you've really built a following and a loyal following at that. People that really love hearing from you, and I want to know why you feel building a personal brand is so important, but also how you went about it. Yeah, so um, I think I've had a very similar, for the most part, uh, LinkedIn journey. Right, everyone's had an account forever, and most people don't ever use it unless they have to update a job, right? Like I was that, that, that was that LinkedIn guy for a long time. I think there was a period when I used to just paste uh, quotes and stuff like that. Just things that inspired me. I just shared it, you know? And like, even back then I didn't realize that doing that would actually maybe help somebody, you know, like I didn't mm. really put those two things together. And then I log in in April of 2019 
And I had actually went on LinkedIn because I got a project. It was it was a goal that that was given to me to figure out a way to use social media to um, help educate our teams and our employees and things like that. So this is like the goal that I get. And so you know, I checked out Snapchat. I'm on Instagram. Like I checked out all these platforms. And then I was and I went on LinkedIn and I just started noticing that the platform had changed. Like whoa, people are creating lots of videos here. There's a lot of like these cool slide decks. There was all these different things that I didn't know existed on the platform. Right. And so naturally I just start consuming content. I start watching the videos and and seeing the engagement and interacting and, and then adding my two cents. Right. And then I came across, um, a guy by the name of Brian Shulman. I don't know if you've seen him on the mm-hmm. platform, but um, so he does these great initiatives. He does What's Good Wednesday and Shout Out Saturday. And when I saw this guy being himself on camera, you know, I, I looked at that and, and in my head, I was like, huh, like maybe I can do that, you know? And then uh, I actually reached out to him and I, I set up a call with him and I said, hey, listen, um, uh, I really love your initiatives. I love what you're doing on this platform. And I think I want to start creating, but I don't really know what to talk about. You know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what people are going to say, you know, having this imposter syndrome happening, which a lot of people go through. And he's like, listen, he's like, you're going to crush it, man. You can do this. Like you, you can, you have knowledge about this. You have knowledge about that. He's like, just turn on the camera and just start talking. You know, he's like, just (laughs) just start talking. So I remember my first video and this is the, the funniest, funniest thing uh, as it kind of came full circle. But the first video was me. And I, I said, hey, uh, I want to see if there's anyone out there that knows about social media, social media marketing. Like literally, like this is the video. You can go back and no and watch it. You know, this is the video in April. Um, uh, if you if you do, let me know. Like And like nobody looked at, I, I think, I remember looking, it was like three views, they were all me. <laughs> it was all me looking at it. And I remember being so concerned about how many people were going to see it. Like, focusing on the metrics. And I remember kind of having this moment where I was like, what are you doing? Like, who cares? Like, just, just keep creating. Right. Cause I remember Brian telling me that it's like, just create, people will show up, just, just create, you know, just keep creating your content. So I did, I just started showing up. I started making videos and I would go down sales lanes, you know, talking about different acronyms that, that I've learned over the years and sharing that I would talk about customer experience, you know, and how you definitely don't, want detractors and how you can turn passives into promoters and, you know, really all of the lanes, EQ, um, leadership topics, the things that I do for a living, I just started sharing that. You know, I started sharing that in videos, sharing that with just copy, like long form copy. Um, cause I really, I really love to write. And, uh, and I just started noticing, wow, like, like I'm getting hundreds of connection requests. People are following me. You know, I think at that time in April of 19, I had 7,000 followers and connections. And by December, I was at 20,000. I remember hitting that milestone and thinking about that that was the same size as the former Rose Garden, which is now the Moda Center where the Portland Trailblazers play. It's actually smaller than that. Like, but like I, I thought about like how many, like, like how is that possible? right? From April to December, how is that even possible? And then I, you know, fast forward to April, I doubled that to 40. Like it went from 20 to 40 from December to April. And now it's, I don't know, almost 53,000 in June. And I, you know, I still sit around sometimes. I'm like, where, where are these people following me for? <laughs> you know, like, why, are they, why are they following me? You know, you have to keep creating, right? I think uh, the biggest advice I always give people on the platform and, and really it's, I just share with people what I did, right? It was consume first and then figure out what you're going to talk about and then just start creating. And then you have to engage, right? There, there's, I mean, there's steps that you need to take to, to build, but I, you know, I tell people all the time, listen, if I can build an audience, anybody can, can build an audience, you know, I think that, um, you have to put the energy and the time and, and the effort into it. And listen, it's been a crazy journey because like while all this is happening, um, you know, I'm getting reached out by people. People are like, Hey, you offer this, do you, can you teach me how to do this? And you know, I remember for months and months I was telling them, no, like, Hey, no, I can't, no, I can't, you know? And then my wife one day is like, did you just say that you have people messaging you asking for your help and want to pay you and you're telling them no. <laughs> and, 
And I'm like, well, when you put it like that, like maybe I should start, maybe I should start saying yes. Right. So, you know, I started taking on um, some clients and, and helping people and, um, you know, helping them optimize their profile and helping them with their content strategy. If they needed video editing, I can do that. Right. Like, so all of the skill sets and components that I've learned over the years has now turned into, um, turn into a, a lucrative thing. Right. And, and so that's been kind of amazing. And, and what I, what I love about, about time is I like to look at time from, and, and I don't know how many listeners have heard this, but, um, so I like to pose a question, like if you had, you know, $86,400 every day and you, it replenished every day, but you didn't get back any of the dollars that you didn't spend, how would you spend it? Mm. Right. And so when you look at that from a time perspective, we have 86,400 seconds a day, but you never get any of that time back. Right. So I remember being in a place where uh, I was traveling a lot and a lot of my off time went into like binge watching Game of Thrones. And, you know, <laughs> like I did, I definitely watched um, a uncomfortable amount of seasons during my travels, you know? And I remember like, it just kind of clicked one day because I had started creating content and, and I was like looking at the time I was wasting, like doing that. And I was like, man, if I, if I actually invested flip flop it and invested more time here, like what, what could happen? Right. And so I made that shift and that shift is really when, you know, momentum started. I remember in the summer, I think it was in June, I had a post that, you know, my phone just didn't, didn't stop almost for the, for the whole entire day. And it had got over like 180,000 views. And it was literally, uh, I think, I think I posted smile at everyone you encounter today. You never know what someone's going through. What's, um, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Wow. I, and, and I posted that and then it just, I mean, it, it blew up and it resonated. And, and so I was like, man, this is like the smile heard around the world, right? <laughs> like it, like globally, I think it was shared over like 75 times, like all over the world, you know? And when that happened, I was like, holy cow, like, or, you know, that's when I kind of knew like, there's something, there's something here, you know, there's something about, being who you are and being positive because let's face it, there's, there's so much negativity out there. Yeah. And the, and the power of the platform is truly incredible because to your point, it's a global reach and you never know when something's going to blow up. I had a post similar, not, not quite as uh, crazy, but I, I I've had some posts blow up to, you know, 70 plus thousand views and, and, you know, dozens. And I think I had like, like to your point, like 50, 50 shares. I had one recently, 70 share. I'm like, Wow, seventy people actually thought enough of this to share this with someone else. Yeah, they and like, took the time to do that, right? Because yeah. it's not an—it's not just like you know—you have to actually share it. Yeah. you got to go through that process. So, and you just never know, and it could be something. And what I love about you, Jordan, is you're just so positive, and you exude this positivity. It just—it's—it surrounds your whole aura, and I think that is why you built such a broad following in such a short amount of time. And I'm so grateful that you've been able to share with the audience that really what it comes down to is, yeah, there are techniques, there are tactics, there are ways you approach it. But at the end of the day, just create. And to your point, we live in a world where it's this consumption creation sort of battling each other, right? You could consume all day. You could watch Game of Thrones. You could be glued to Netflix and nothing's wrong with taking some time to enjoy a movie or watch a TV show. I'm not saying to never do that, but I think what you're saying, which I believe in is evaluate how much time you're spending doing that because you do have this bank account of time. And, it, and to your point, it replenishes every single day, but you don't get back what you don't use. And so you have an opportunity every day to make a decision on whether or not you're going to apply yourself and do something that maybe is going to allow you to help other people, to create and to think of ways to give of yourself to others. There's nothing more rewarding and fulfilling than helping another person be a better person. And so I'm, I'm thrilled that you were able to do this on this show. I love all of your stories. 
where to, to finish off, where can we find you? You have a podcast, Blaze Your Own Trail podcast, which I was fortunate enough to be on. So maybe share a little bit about that, but also where can the audience find you and get to know you better? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, the show, the Blaze Your Own Trail podcast that launched on New Year's Day and the, the show was created to really share people's stories of their journey, you know, of their journey to success, not like how they are like they're I'm so successful today, but like, what did you actually go through the trials, the errors, the failures? What lessons did you learn on that journey? Right? Because I think that's what's going to add the most value, just like your show, learning about people's journey. That's what adds value to other people because they now they get to see maybe something from a different angle or perspective or think about something a little bit differently. And so, yeah, you can find that on all all the platforms that are out there: Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, everything. And then, um, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, just Jordan J Mendoza. Instagram is at Jordan J Mendoza. I'm on TikTok, Jordan J Mendoza. Twitter is Jordan J Mendoza. So I'm all over social media. I, I enjoy. Uh, creating content. I enjoy, you know, sharing positivity and I'm, uh, I'm open to connecting. Um, you know, if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, but I'm actually, I only have about 500 connections left before I max out on the platform. So for people listening, if you don't know you, LinkedIn actually maxes your first level connections out at 30,000 and I'm at like 29 and 400 and something, I think as of this morning. So, um, after that, you know, you can absolutely follow me if you enjoy the, the content that I put out. Um, and I love engaging with people and, and talking. I love having conversations. So, Love it, man. Well, go out and find Jordan. And like I said, you know, you're, you're not going to find a more positive, upbeat person who looks at things from the lens where adversity is part, part your own mindset and how you approach things. Uh, wonderful getting to know you better and excited to grow our friendship into the future. Jordan Mendoza, thank you for being on Inside Out. Hey, my pleasure, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.